0: We have before us the opportunity to forge, for ourselves and for future generations, a new world order. Good evening, folks. You're listening to The Hour of the Time. I'm William Cooper. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, Americans, another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on or behind the lines, this is your song the <laughs> veteran of three foreign wars entrepreneur and warrior poet Tony Arterburn takes on the issues facing our country civilization and planet this is the Arterburn radio transmission Parapolitics of politics and precious metals, weapons grade truth. Cutting-edge, counterculture, conservative radio. Even though there's nothing really I want to conserve anymore, <laughs> I bring that up all the time. Well, welcome to the Art Burn Radio Transmission, ladies and gentlemen. We're broadcasting from deep in the heart of Texas, here at my uh, my Denison, Texas location. And, uh, of course, I've got Beans the Brave on my lap to help me uh, <laughs> knock out this transmission today. I, I debated, I've been so busy, I debated, should I go live? I need to, I tell the people every Friday I'll be here. And of course you are my support group and helps me uh, have the strength to broadcast in defiance of globalist goblins, the neocons, the new world order, and the Build Back Better, Biden, Beelzebub, Baphomet, Bilderberg, Bohemian Grove, Bankster Bunch. It's Friday the 13th, 2023. Wars and rumors of wars, ladies and gents, and the quickening, whatever this, is, this process is, this fourth turning, uh, all the signposts are there, and we're going to get into that a little bit today. Just a discussion with you. I mean, I've got some stories. I've got some headlines. We're being bombarded with a massive amount of mind warfare, psychological operations, different opposing sides. Factions trying to capture you with the fulcrum of their their psyops, putting you into different camps Do you support this. If you don't support this, then you're over here with this. It's a reckoning, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to get into that today. You know, I talk about war a lot here on this show. We've uh, we've been talking about World War three because of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Uh, I've told you the history leading up to that. And of course the mainstream media doesn't care about history. They don't care about the past. It's what's happening now. There is no past. There is there is nothing. There's no events leading up. There's no cause and effect. There's nothing. So either you know you're going to be on whatever side you have to just choose. You have to see you have to see the images and you have to get emotionally involved. You have to call for war. There's no time to investigate. There's no time to ask questions. It's march to war now. And what I've learned in my life is that that is dangerous because the last thing you want to be is a pawn in somebody else's game if there's no context to what's happening and of course yeah i mean nobody can excuse brutality terrorism murder we're not we're not going to excuse any of that this isn't blm <laughs> i'm not going to I'm not going to talk about uh, the heroism of the paragliders who, you know, jumped into and flew into soft targets and killed civilians like cowards. We're not going to do that, but we're going to talk about context to all of this. What's happening? Are we getting dragged into a a third world war? Is this the kickoff? Was it Ukraine or is it all of it? It's like I was telling my son yesterday, he was like, is this the lead off to World War Three? I said, we're already in that, son. It started when most all of the governments, if not all of them, on planet Earth went in lockstep in 2020. That's a term from the Rockefeller documents on lockstep. They went in lockstep and war against their own people with COVID-1984. Now we're talking about something different. We're talking about kinetic warfare, opposing factions. And if you don't have a sober look at all of that, you're going to be captured in this mind war. The last place you want to be, not having your own thoughts. You ever watch a documentary? If you haven't, you should. It's called The Fog of War. It has uh, former Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara, but obviously before he died. But he was it was later in life after he'd been, I think he was, I think he headed up uh, the IMF and worked for some other multinational corporations after he was done uh, during the Kennedy and Johnson administrations. Of course, he was the uh, one of the smart boys. Uh, he worked for Curtis Lemay in Japan uh, in World War II, and they would do all these, you know, statistical bombing uh, uh, plans. He would get, you know, do the math out to the. And I think he worked for uh, the Ford Motor Company when Kennedy hired him for Secretary of Defense. So, so they bring him into the studio decades later to talk about his experience as Secretary of Defense. In the the Vietnam War, of course, he was uh, he retired under Johnson. But the damage had been done, and if you watch that documentary, he talks about the fog of war and he talks about how they really didn't understand. They thought they did. They thought they were the smartest, smartest in the room. They really didn't understand what they were dealing with. He went and met with some of his counterparts. Let years later in Vietnam, his enemy, and talk to them about uh, what they how how he saw the war, you know the domino effect uh, of communism spreading globally. Because if they we didn't do something about the communists, um, you know the whole world would go communism, and they would be influenced by China. And this Vietnamese counterpart says, "Didn't you read your history?" We've been fighting the Chinese for a thousand years. We wanted independence. You were disrupting that. We would have fought, we were gonna to fight to the last minute. You you didn't understand us. You were trying to bring you know freedom and democracy or whatever that meant to the US rulers at the time. I don't ever buy that, but that's what they said, right? And the Vietnamese didn't see it that way, especially the North Vietnamese. He also talked to his counterpart in Kita's Fidel Castro about what Castro would have done had we done airstrikes followed by invasion in the Cuban Missile Crisis. And Castro said, had he had the ability to fire the nukes, he would have fired them. There was wisdom on one side of that. You had Kennedy stopping that. And on the other side, you had these smart set like McNamara, like Dean Acheson. It's the fog of war, folks. We're not asking those questions. What happened post 9-11? We had to run off and we we allocated all of these. And again, if you know about me, you know, I'm looking into other aspects of 9-11. There's a lot of great journalism out there. There's a lot of great there's a lot of hard work that people put in What what you're not spoon fed by the mainstream media. We can go over that sometime. Matter of fact, I'm wearing my Yankees ball cap given me, uh, to me by Billy Ray Valentine. I've, he bought this for me at ground zero. But, you know, the fog of war following that was Saddam Hussein has a death ray. Uh, Dick Cheney said there's going to be mushroom clouds over America. He's the new Hitler. You know, we have to stop him. And there's yellow cake uranium from, from Niger. Remember? Aluminum tubes. He's building a bomb. Well, I was part of the tail end of the invasion of Iraq, and I was there a year. And I can tell you that country was not prepared to take on anybody. They couldn't even defend themselves. That country was weak. The infrastructure was crumbling. Its people were poor. The cities, the infrastructure falling apart. How was that going to destroy my country? The answer is it was, never was. And it never was about any of the things they told you. They used the brutality and the images and the fear of 9-11 to push you into something else. Something gross. Something out of the American character. Never forget that. Never forgive that. Look at, what, look at how we abandoned the people in Afghanistan after we built it up. Billions upon billions upon billions of dollars sacrificed our blood and treasure. One of my closest friends I will ever have had in this life is buried in Arlington Cemetery because of his service in Afghanistan. And I escorted his body there and I helped I helped the funeral services put him in the ground. So I know a thing or two about Afghanistan and the sacrifices there. War to me is not a game. I'm not some Fox News commentator who gets bloodthirsty over this. Did you guys, did did you see Dick Cheney? Or not Dick Cheney, Liz Cheney. Same thing. (laughs) Liz Dick Cheney's daughter. Did you guys see her? She's saying uh, that Netanyahu needs to, to finish them. Like this is a game of Mortal Kombat. And she's talking about Iran. Which just happens to be a massive landmass, about three size the times of uh, uh, size of the uh, of Iraq, about ninety million people. So in Iraq, I think had about twenty-five million people. But she's saying finished them. What does that mean? Have we had no context here? Have we even figured out what would the? And by the way, this is another country. I mean, if Paraguay was attacked, how much, how much, out, see how the the media is so influenced by certain regions. Like we, we know, I know for a fact that y- the Yemenis, Yemen has had a genocide. And we help the Saudis who were in a proxy war against the Iranians fighting on <laughs> fighting the uh, rebels in Yemen. So figure that one out. But we spend a lot of money. And there's a lot of blood and treasure <laughs> in Yemen, but you don't have cameras on that. But we're all looking at this, and there are some horrible things that have happened. But, you know, I just read the the, the uh, blurb on Drudge that the Israelis are giving the people in Gaza at the hospital two hours to evacuate the entire thing. So, like, if you're hooked up on intensive care or in you know, if you've got any of the people in the hospital, they got two hours to get out. They're clearing the whole thing. I have some questions. How do you have the most of one of the most sophisticated, if the not most sophisticated intelligence network in the entire world, Mossad? You have a first rate air force. You never really have to use it. The U.S. does that for you. It's true. They have 300 atomic weapons. Hamas is not going to destroy Israel, so we can make that clear. That that's impossible. Nation states do. This is 50, 50 years to the to the date when they all Israel almost fell, and Nixon, uh, Richard Nixon saved them. The Yom Kippur War. They almost fell. To nation states, not terrorism. Terrorism threatens everybody around the world, and they're they can change us politically, but they really can't. I mean, terrorists can't destroy the United States, and they can't destroy Israel. They can do some damage, but they can't destroy a nation state. But how did this massive attack happen? Do we have time to even ask the question, or do we get shuffled into, "Well, you don't love Israel, or you don't, lo- you're with the terrorists"? Can I ask a question? Am I allowed that anymore? Three, four. I, I did three foreign wars for this country. Can I ask a question about before we march off to war and what we support? Shouldn't all of us take a break from? Jumping on bandwagons and following whatever we're supposed to believe, and maybe just ask some questions. Be a little bit sober. If you know anything about what follows, the boys will never be home by Christmas, folks. That's not how that works. That's what they you know they sang songs. You know the the Civil War opened up, and uh, you know people went out and they had picnics to watch the the. The Union fight the Confederates. They did that for, I think, the first couple of battles. But then, you know, these nice gentry ladies would show up and they'd have their picnics laid out and it was going to be oh so entertaining. And then a you know, cannonball would rip through and, uh, you know, cut off people's legs and maim. And there was screaming and like it, all, it always isn't war. It's a horrible, squalid, nasty thing. And it should be the last resort. It's not for our ruling class. And it's not for people that have nothing but hatred in their hearts, because they're dead inside already. We we get drugged into these things, and you ought to be able to defend yourself, and you ought to prepare for war because it's on the. If you're in this, are you a human being? Do you live in the third dimension on planet Earth? And yeah, you got to prepare for war, but you should do everything in your power to avoid it. But what are the geopolitical implications of this? Have we thought that one through? Here's a headline I pulled off of uh, let's see if we can share the screen. You guys will forgive me. I always I'm doing it off my laptop. But let's share the screen. Let's look at um, summit.news. And I, you know, and this is 4 days old, but this is what the implications of This war is going to be, especially if it widens and spills over. Yeah. Oil prices. Surge. And are predicted to go to one hundred and fifty dollars per barrel following Hamas attack. Last week's oil tumble now seems like ancient history. Same thing with gold, folks, and we'll talk about gold today, too. Oil prices have rocketed by almost 5% in the wake of the Hamas attack, with some analysts now predicting it could hit $150 per barrel and warning that Americans already facing inflated gas prices will again have to deal with a price surge. That's putting it mildly. And let me go on the record by saying $200 a barrel because they haven't really baked into the cake the damage that's been done to the dollar already. This is about nation-states, folks. This is geopolitical grand chessboard. This is language. This isn't just terrorist killing civilians for effect. Have you even stopped to think about why would they do that? It seems like what... Have they just gone suicidal? Maybe they are. Maybe it's maybe it's suicide bombers. Basically, the mentality of the suicide bombers politically. Think about that. And of course, you know, you have quotes from Netanyahu and other Israeli officials. They wanted Hamas and the U.S. did, too. They wanted Hamas in charge politically so they could, I think, bring them to this point where they're the entire structure of the PLO, The Palestinians is debased to this, and that's what represents it. I don't know. I don't have a dog in the fight, but I do think that, obviously, any kind of terrorism, any sort of— I mean, I just want—people ought to be able to live free from terror, free from whether it's government terror or whether it's political terror, or theocratic terror, or whatever you're talking about, whatever we're looking at here, it's disgusting. And you gotta be a sick coward. You gotta have something so diseased in your soul to go and take innocent people who are unarmed and torture them and kill them and and kill kids. I mean, the governments do that though. You realize that, and that's not just terrorists. I've seen what smart bombs do, so-called smart bombs. You know, whenever we bring some democracy somewhere, it creates an absolute chaos, it creates death. One time I we were called out to go to the home of a politician in Mosul, Iraq. Who had sided with U.S. forces? The whole family was killed, murdered, slaughtered in broad daylight inside their home while they're having dinner. Killed all of them, the kids too. This is the the terrorists, the freedom fighter, whatever you want to call them, right? Whatever political faction you're on, they're probably somewhere indirectly funded by our own intelligence by somewhere or a banker. They killed that whole family and they sat there in the sun all weekend in their home. And when you open the door, the smell was so strong, you know, it got into my clothes. It got in my BDUs and I had to throw them away. But all means, let's rush off to war. You're you're tough on Twitter. You're tough on Facebook. Be careful of that language. There's not a lot of wisdom in it. I'm I'm sick of these headlines. You know, it's Friday the thirteenth too. We did not even talk about history. <laughs> I got beans by me. I shut the door, beans. It's aesthetically not pleasing. <laughs> it's like, but the bed is in there. At least you, got, you guys get a, a shot of beans during the show today. <laughs> yeah, this, I, you know, okay, well, so we'll break from war for a second, and we'll go back into headlines. But it's Friday the 13th. We didn't even go into it. And it's in October. And I have a funny story about that. I was uh, meeting with my new social media guru. Uh, it's Maddie. She works in Branson doing a great job and uh I was having breakfast with her and the waitress had a tattoo of Friday the 13th on her arm I don't know; I didn't see it but Maddie brought it up and I said well you know you have a Friday the 13th coming this Friday this is on I think it was this Monday (laughs) the lady says yeah and I said you know the history of that and as soon as I said those words and I was going to tell her the why Friday the 13th is an unlucky day her eyes just glazed over I realized that might be like some of my audience. That might be, and like in real time, just not interested in like my history or whatever, uh, whatever facts were rolling around in my head uh, from years of you know reading obscure history and stuff. Matter of fact, I, when I ran for Congress, somebody I had a nickname and I didn't know it. I finally asked the guy. I said, well, "He gave nicknames to everybody." I said, "What's my nickname?" He said, "Oh, you're Tony Artifact." because you uh, you just dig up the past. But the, the history of Friday the 13th, and it was October 1307, Friday, obviously, uh, it was the, the king of France and the pope, was, uh, Philip the Fair of France and Clement V, that was the pope. And they raided all of the outposts of the Knights Templar simultaneously all over Europe, because the Knights Templar became a Major banking consortium, the first international multinational corporation, really. You know, they were the the knights that protected the roads into Jerusalem during the Crusades. And then they occupied King Solomon's Temple. There's all sorts of lore around them and what they became and what happened to them. Uh, but that's why Friday the 13th is an unlucky day. So. And that translate all the way back to 1307. And of course, a couple of years later, they. Uh, burned Jacques de Molay, the leaders of the Templars. Uh, I mean, it was it was pretty brutal. They didn't, but it was because the Pope and uh, the King owed money. <laughs> they got rid of those first bankers. They got rid of those first international, that international corporation. And some people think that's why the, and they fled to places like Scotland because you have Rosalind Chapel. And, uh, you have, um, well, some people think they went even as to, uh, to America. Some of those writings are in some of the, uh, the documents that were later found. Uh, and of course, you have uh, the Swiss who bear the Red Cross on their flag. And they're always neutral, and they have all the banking. So you tell me, is that where the Templars went? History is interesting. Um, and we're seeing history right now. So let me go to the Rockfin chat. Say hi to people. If you want to find me uh, live, you can find me on Rockfin. That's R-O-K-F-I-N dot forward slash America Unplugged. And I try to I try to go live here every Friday. And of course, we've got. Uh, America Unplugged, the show on Saturday. Uh, at noon, it's actually 11 a.m. Central Time. I see Rhonda Tates in the chat and Jason Barker. I got to see Jason Barker last week. But he, I told him, yeah, go back in the studio, cut a show with me. He wasn't able to do it. There's Riley. He says, I remember saying war is hell. It certainly is. You know, it, it's it's really it's what threatens us the most. It's it and it provides so much for the state. War is the health of the state. We've been in a per, this perpetual warfare. Gore Vidal called it Perpetual War for Perpetual Peace. And then you see an image. The thing so effective about terrorism is it takes away your rationality. And it it can create this sense of need for a, a much larger force beyond yourself to take control of your life, to protect you. And the controllers know that. That's why anytime something happens, the best thing to do is to think. Something Henry Ford said is the thinking is the hardest job of all. That's why so few people do it. Oh, don't get me wrong. I've seen the images. I know exactly that gut reaction, destroy. I understand that's in there. But somewhere along the way, you have to step back and ask Kubono, who benefits? You know, like what would be a rational proportional response to something? How do you keep it from happening again? But unlike, you know, a normal investigation, we never had that in this country. Like 9-11, um, raise your hand if you can tell me who got fired because of 9-11, the most catastrophic security failure in the history of the U.S., Was there an investigation on how the uh, hijackers could have known to get NORAD to stand down or that they were going to be running simulations like Vigilant Vigilant Guardian and Able Danger at the exact same time? Um, Has anybody ever had an investigation into that? No, of course not. No one was fired. No investigations. That's too messy. And it uncovers a lot of things that might be unpleasant for the voting public who would like to have a beer with that president or why the fact that. Dick Cheney and uh, George Bush agreed never to testify without each other present. They only could do it with each other. Anybody ever thought that was weird or how the 9-11 commission was given $3 million as a budget initially, and then the 9-11 families protested, so they upped it to $13 million. Do you know what the inaugural of George W. Bush, the second inaugural, cost? $30 million. So there isn't much emphasis paid on how did that happen? It's just like now. Nobody's saying there wasn't death. Nobody's saying there wasn't murder. Nobody's saying there wasn't a, a you know a tragedy. It must be avenged. I'm asking the question of how this happened in the first place. And where does it lead to? You talk about $150 a, a barrel gasoline or crude oil, to, Creates high gasoline prices. Yeah. What did uh, Ms. Cheney, I think it was Liz Cheney saying too, I think she was talking about hitting the uh, oil manufacturing capability of Iran if they don't put Hamas in check and crippling her, uh, Iran. So you think that's a good idea. Do you know what the fallout of that would be? Geopolitically, do you understand there's cause and effect? You want to bankrupt a nation, put it into complete catastrophic freefall. Okay, what then, though? Then how does that affect the rest of the world? Twenty four percent of the world's oil output comes from the Middle East. So we just make up for that. You're going to pay six dollars a gallon at the pump. Is Is Daddy Jerome Powell going to save you? We're going to cut rates? They don't think this through. The neocons, that's why I've opened up this show for the last almost five years saying that I'm broadcasting in defiance of neocons. You understand what they are. You understand what they track back to. You understand that they took the conservative movement and destroyed it from within. They hijacked it. They took the last bit of America and destroyed it and put us on a collision course for where we are now. And you understand that's what they did. These are followers of Leon Trotsky. They're not your friends, Christian conservatives, even though you have a lot of people on talk radio, neocon all the way. They don't believe that the answer to the world's problems is Jesus Christ. They think the answer to the world's problems is perpetual revolution and democracy. I don't believe in those things. I've not seen any of them work. I've seen Jesus work for people. I've seen Jesus work in real life, but I've never seen democracy work. And I've ser- <laughs> certainly not at the, the end of a uh, barrel of a gun or a bayonet. But you're going to see a lot of this rhetoric is only going to get worse. Especially because the I don't believe the response is going to be proportional. And maybe the, the entire point of all of this is to create some sort of geopolitical kinetic tension between nation states. And what I mean by that is Iran. It's really Iran. And Iran pretty much has a proxy in Iraq as Shia. You know, Saudi Arabia is at war by proxy with Iran. Saudi Arabia has close ties to Israel. I'm asking questions here. Kubono, who benefits? Like when Assad supposedly gassed his own people in 2013, that was my first year that I was on air. (laughs) I made the radio station I was broadcasting out of angry because I called it a false flag. And I was supposed to be cheerleading this war, you know? we it, it was war, you gotta get in it. Every every conservative commentator, were talking about how weak Obama was from already bombing Syria and putting in the troops. You know, Lindsey Graham was gonna be running for president later uh, in about a year or two, he would call for 200,000 troops and we gotta put them into Syria or they're gonna kill us all. Or he actually said, they're gonna kill us all. We don't get over there. and. We never really got over there, per se, and we got, I mean, Trump ordered them out of there, I think, 10 times, and they just stayed or went back in. But, yeah, Assad had supposedly gassed his own people, and I thought, no, that can't be right. That doesn't make any logical sense. And it turns out that I was right. A lot of good journalism on the ground showed and expose the White Hats for what they were. They're just agents of the West and the Five Eyes intelligence and Israeli intelligence, U.S. intelligence, trying to create an environment where we give an excuse to go in. There's a, there's a lot of sophisticated games that are played. They they did it sloppy in Syria, but they tried it multiple times. He's gassing his own people. But he was winning. Why would he do that? That's what I kept asking. He's, you know, Hillary Clinton ran into I I still I still can't absorb this mentally and and that, that most people, it went over their head. Watching the presidential debates Hillary Clinton was was saying that when she was going to be president in 2016, 2017, that she would create a no fly zone in Syria so that Russia couldn't hit Al Qaeda and ISIS and we would shoot down Russian aircraft if they violated the no-fly zone. So we would potentially start a nuclear exchange to protect the people that supposedly brought down the buildings on 9-11, our mortal enemy. Do you realize how schizophrenic and crazy that is? So when I ask you to step back for a second and maybe not be so anxious to see blood and bombs and gore, you know maybe there's maybe there's something to the bible you know uh, i remember jim rohn one of the great you know spiritual and i think motivational speakers of all times a very very good man i listened to him growing up and <laughs> he said do you know why um, god said that uh, vengeance is mine he says cuz he wanted it all to himself <laughs> Some things aren't ours. I, I just caution. I, I this Red flag's going up everywhere. Because we're in a season of war. I mean, you can go biblically, but man's always at war. We're uh, in a fallen state. That's a, like the lowest point where you just say, well, we have to fight and kill. And like I said, I, I think it's a, I have a nuanced view on it. I think you have to train, you have to know how to, I told my son, you have to, and when he was a little boy, I was like, you know, how you have to have the two H's in your as a man. You got to be able to hurt people and heal people. And if you can do one but not the other, you're incomplete. So you have to be able to defend your position. You have to be able to defend those you love. You should always train as a warrior. But that's the last resort. And the reason is, is because history doesn't bode well for those who fight perpetually or those who engage recklessly in wars. What's the latest from the Third Reich? How the Blitzkrieg worked out? Oh, wait, it didn't. Or what about the Japanese? You know, what about Pearl Harbor? Was that a mistake? Was it a day of infamy? Yeah. But just like, you know, the media is comparing this to Pearl Harbor and 9-11, I agree with them because both of those events have strangeness to them. Like if you look at the history of FDR being forewarned about the Japanese attack, and it's folks, you need to go get the book Day of Infamy and my any writings by my friend James Perloff. You want to have your eyes open to the real history of what led up to Pearl Harbor. Yeah, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. It's not a false flag. But Roosevelt knew exactly who he wanted to have in command, where how they were going to put Put the fleet there you know cutting off their their crude and cutting off their supplies to rubber and other things in the far east sanctions just goading it and of course they knew they knew it was going to happen same thing look at 911 of course we're not a, we're not allowed to ask questions about 911 you got to rush to war you can't see the hijackers they're the invisible enemy it's just like covid-19 before do you understand you have to go to war i did but don't you ask questions. It's just violence. You have to be ready to kill. But if it was for freedom, how come we're not free? I have so many questions and what r- r- rattles around in my mind. I'll go back. I wanted to see if anybody had put anything in the chat. Because I know you guys are always. Well, we got a pretty active chat today. And I didn't say hi to, to any word. Thanks for being here. Uh, Arbon T is also in the chat. I appreciate you guys. I'll get to some more. Uh, <laughs> I'll get to some more. I, I, that, we're not going to have that happen on air, Jason Barker. Not, not in. You know what, I, what I'm talking about. Beans is the best dog ever. Jason Barker says, I'm an intellectual Indiana Jones, but way more buff. Well, thank you. Um, I, need to, <laughs> I need to get some kind of, I love the theme song to Indiana Jones. I always just when I was a kid and I'd see the, the plane going across the map and it has a little trail going behind it, how long that was. And, you know, I just, I thought I'll have an adventure. I'll get out there someday. I just didn't have the hat. All right, let's get into some more headlines. Yeah, this this is one from economists. <laughs> this okay, you know when I talk about before uh, you know leading up to all the things that we're experiencing now economically, I'd say okay, and I, I don't, I can't be the originator, and I won't take credit for that, but I thought there should be a fund for. Everything that Jim Cramer does, you do the opposite, <laughs> you know, for mad money like there should be. OK, he just said the economy sound. He just said such and such company looks good. He's, you know, doesn't like gold, doesn't like Bitcoin, but he loves, you know, X amount, whatever stock, you know, whatever. And I would say, OK, now it's time to do the opposite because he's these guys never get it. I remember being 28 years old before the uh, 2008 2009 crash and TARP funds and the great recession and all that, you know, the big short. And I remember thinking I had a, I had a small real estate company and I was running a convenience store and it was a high volume convenience store. And I kept seeing the price of fuel going up and up and up and up and I was in the back office and I knew how much, how much of the credit card fees go to the bank. You're talking about three $4 a, a gallon. You're looking at uh, fees going to the bank who has no investment, no infrastructure. They make more than the gasoline retailer. And I thought they love this. They're going to keep goosing this until the end. And they did. And what the implications of that though, is that people had to decide if they were going to pay their mortgage payment, which were subprime and pay their credit card bills with high interest rates. Or pay for gas to get places. And they chose gasoline. Something had to give. And it created this ripple effect. And the entire bottom dropped out of it. There was people that knew that. But none of the financial wizards. None of the people on the the mainstream. And I at 28 years old was going. I started pulling the plugs on stuff. Like this isn't going to work. Just gut level. I started buying books. It's funny. I just have this affinity for pessimism. In the broader scope of things. But on a personal level. I'm not a. I call them Eeyore's. I'm not an Eeyore. I'm not a pessimist. I always try. I'm always a eternal optimist when it comes to, you know, doing what I think God created you for, was to create. But I started looking at that and I thought, man, I, and I, that's when I learned to trust myself. I go past, I was look, going to the bookstore, and I find books on that would hint towards, you know, what to do and the economic a crash is coming. I started buying those type of books because I thought, this can't be real, and every financial network, all these, all these different, you know, smart set people were all saying that everything was going to be fine, and it wasn't. So this leads me to let me share my screen real quick. I saw this article right before I went live, so I put it up here so you can hopefully bear with me and we'll go through it together. But it's just classic elites, you know, going into. Um, Talking about what's really going to happen. Here, let me share this. This is Zero Hedge. And, of course, it's Janet Yellen. Economists warn of bigger Middle Eastern war, but Yellen downplays its economic impact. <laughs> Let's, this is from Andrew uh, Moran of the Epic Times. The war between Hamas and Israel is unlikely to spill over into the global economy, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told delegates at the annual meetings on the International Monetary Fund and World Bank in Morocco. Despite the initial volatility in global financial markets on October 9th, investors have largely dismissed concerns that the latest conflict in the Middle East will impact the international economy pricing in or in various scenarios. Ms. Yellen does not think the events will result in anything, quote, very significant for the global outlook. She says, while we are monitoring potential economic impacts from the crisis in Israel, I'm not really thinking of that as a major driver of the global economic outlook. Thus far, I think we've seen anything suggesting Thus far, I don't think we've seen anything suggesting it will be very significant. Well, the, this is one of those places where I I have to bring this to your attention. I'm not telling you it's going to be everything, but I don't see how that it just contains itself. And I don't think that any kind of event like this is meant to contain itself. Now, you can take that logic and do what what you will. That's my personal belief. This is meant for something else. I didn't say who started it, but I think there's something to this event that has the potential to lead to other events geopolitically. Because you're talking about a larger picture. You're talking about energy, energy, oil right in the 21st century agenda 2030 agenda 21 you know sustainability short supply why did why did biden destroy the petrodollar why is he destroying the petrodollar after nixon took us off the gold standard in 1971 henry kissinger promptly used the free-floating dollar and it did a deal with the Saudis to have only, you know, the the crude would be bought and used in dollars. It became the petrodollar because that, that's something called money velocity. The more that the currency is used, the stronger the currency can be, even though it's fake. It's like it's, there's nothing backing it except the government of the United States. There's no commodity. It's no universal value other than psychological. So the petrodollar helped to prop up the dollar for the last 50 years. And Joe Biden said, no, we're going green. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to build infrastructure. We don't, we won't fix anything so you can go green. So really it green does not mean go, or it may mean may go home or <laughs> go away. Doesn't mean that you're going to get out of your house. And I think that's the whole point. Biden has not, and this administration and the ruling class in general are not adding to our energy infrastructure. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why Biden's uh, sold off massive amounts of oil from the strategic petroleum reserve and didn't replace it. Could have replaced it. Didn't No Keystone pipeline. So when Janet Yellen says she doesn't see how this would affect the global economy, you need to be asking yourself, how does this affect the global economy? Because the person who just spoke and, and put out that quote, I don't know if she actually believes that. It reminds me a lot. I remember Hank Paulson, who was secretary of the Treasury under uh, George W. Bush when they had this you know, meltdown in the markets. By the way, I think the debt of the U.S. at that time, I want to say in 2000, the debt of the U.S. was five trillion dollars in 2010. By the way, so that took us our entire history to get there. In 2010, it was 10 trillion. In 2020. It was 20 plus trillion. And right now it's 30 trillion and climbing. So. No impact whatsoever to the global economy. I mean, the amount of absurdity in that statement. This is a person who's been the head of the Federal Reserve and is now the the, uh, Secretary of the Treasury for the United States of America, a position once held by Alexander Hamilton. You have Janet Yellen, Grandpa Munster in drag, or whatever it is. And And she has no... And again, you have to ask the question, do these elites, are they stupid? Or are they lying? I don't know. I, they're interchangeable sometimes to me. Wasn't it, James Forrestal, who was pushed out of a window at Bethesda Naval Hospital, who was Secretary of Defense under Truman. That's what he told Joe McCarthy, you know, about being careful not to um, think that politicians were just stupid. Because if he said if they were stupid, then every once in a while they'd err in our favor, but they never do. So there's Janet Yellen for you. All right. I was looking at some um looking for some headlines on gold. And we can talk a little bit about that. I was on the David Knight show yesterday and I had a question about where precious metals were going and, you know, and I, I think, I think gold was in the $1,820 range at this time last week. So about 1820 bucks, somewhere in there, it had fallen from, you know, it's been at its all time high and broke 2000 and it was up over 2000 in March of, of 2022. And you have a, you know, a market that's been down. I was, again, this is just yesterday. I was on the David Knight show and somebody in the comments uh, said, you know, gold has not gone anywhere. It's hovered in the same place. It doesn't seem to be, you know, having some sort of rise, you know, even with all the stuff economically, what's, you know, uh, where do you see the price of gold going? It hasn't risen. I said, well, the the, the main fact that, that gold isn't cheap should tell you something. There's something wrong with You know, because you have Jerome Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve, has raised interest rates faster than any other Fed chairman in history. And, yeah, you'll hear a lot of stories talking about Paul Volcker, who was head of the Federal Reserve in the late 70s under Jimmy Carter and then under Reagan. He raised interest rates to the teens, but he did it over a period of about six years. And Jerome Powell has done this faster than anybody in history. And they've done this massive amount of raising interest rates. To keep the dollar somewhat strong in those in the face of that you're supposed to see precious metals tank because that's what they did in oh in oh nine excuse me in 2011 because gold had gone up in, after tarp funds the same thing that the banks got bailed out they were too big to fail and too big to jail and ben bernanke at the time came in and said we won't do that again so the volatility came down Federal Reserve is not going to do that again. Silver went from close to fifty dollars a month, or fifty dollars a month, fifty dollars uh, an ounce. I was thinking of my Lone Wolf program, uh, fifty dollars an ounce, uh, back down into the teens. Uh, same thing, gold was almost at two thousand an ounce, or, or right at it, and it fell back into the eleven hundred dollar range. So why isn't it doing that again now? That's because. The people in the know are buying gold. And I'm talking about the people. These are central bankers. These are central banks all over the world acquiring massive amounts of gold. Massive. Breaking records. Since the records were kept in the 1950s, there is a central bank not buying gold. That's the U.S. U.S. isn't buying. It's not a net buyer. Doesn't buy. Hasn't bought since the 70s. We've been selling some but we we're we're not adding to our gold reserves like other central banks are because our dollar is at war with that. It's at war with gold, it's at war with value. It has to be. They cannot coexist really. Not not if there one is one has to be dominant over the other. And the dollar is going to lose that war. And so in the face of volatility, and get to my point, uh, gold was at $1,820 last week or so. Let's share the screen real quick. Let me, I want to put you on goldprice.org. Let's, let's share the screen and let's look at the price of gold. It's important to go over. 1,928 Luciferian Bankster notes per troy ounce. 1,928 Federal Reserve notes, fiat dollars per troy ounce for the yellow metal. Silver's up, 85 cents an ounce over opening at $22.69. So, if I can even put it over a week, let's let's see if I'm right. Seven days. Here I am. There's 1820 rising up. Going into the. 1920 range. So a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks an ounce over a week. You know, what's driving that is fear and uncertainty. And the fact that Janet Yellen, (laughs) Janet Yellen needs revision. She needs revision of her thought process. Because like I said, it's either she's lying. Or she's stupid. I don't know how you get to that place of being so dumb. But of course this will have geopolitical implications. It's too strong of a thing. It's not just one not a a bus that got blown up. This is a major operation. It's meant for effect. This this Hamas-Israeli conflict, this is meant for effect. And it's succeeding. And Hamas is a political wing, a proxy of Iran. Same thing with Hezbollah. It will have geopolitical consequences. It will not be zero. And it will, it does, I mean, you talk about volatility, the Strait of Hormuz. The Iranians, you know, you start, you start acting like, like Liz Cheney, like a petulant child, a bloodthirsty, just psychopath who has no thought. No consequences. Why? She doesn't have to pull any weight. She doesn't have to uh, hump a, a, a rucksack into a battlefield. She doesn't have to jump out of an airplane. She doesn't have to send her kids off to war. It's easy to pontificate. It's easy to play armchair general. These things have real world consequences, ladies and gents. And all I'm telling you, leading up to this, the world's changing. This is part of that change. It's a full-on spiritual war. It's a war of the mind, and the best thing we can do is work on ourselves, take care of our families, take care of each other, be a good example, and think. Don't oh, think my son's home. <laughs> I think my son just came. Oh, he could have got on the show. Anyway, we got about thirty seconds. Uh. Guys, go to Wolfpack.gold and check out the subscription service that I have. You can afford precious metals if you think you can. not You certainly can. Uh, wolfpack.gold, $50 a month gets you started, and we deliver them nationwide direct to your door. Wolfpack.gold, watchwolfgoldandsilver.com, uh, artaburn.news. Go subscribe to the show. Paratroother, new paratroothers is coming out soon. I appreciate each and every one of you. Have a great weekend from Beans the Brave in Houston for myself, end of transmission.